Did you know that a sandwich could potentially cause the death of someone who suffered from a major health issue? It's true. Stay tuned to learn more. You might be surprised. Welcome to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, where we explore ways to relieve the stress, exhaustion, and overwhelm that we all face in caring for an aging parent, frail spouse, or partner. Fear, frustration, emotional and financial strain does not have to be your M.O. Stay tuned as we dive into different and new ways of finding more joy together with those that we love and care for and while keeping our feet solid on the ground. Hang tight, there is a better road ahead. Hey everybody, this is Nancy. Before we start, I'd like to share a gift with you or maybe a gift that you can give to somebody else. Yep, it's the season of giving and the easiest way to give something to somebody you love is to send them a link to this show. It's eldercaresuccess.live. They get access to everything that you've heard and more. We'll see you soon or we'll hear you soon. Stay tuned as we continue on to the next episode. Bye-bye. Hey everybody, it's Nancy May from Doing It Best with Elder Care Success. And we've got another great show. You know, I keep saying that, but I get so excited about all our guests because they're all experts in different areas of taking care of mom, dad, or spouse, or anybody who's become a little frail, and we have to be the strong ones. So sometimes that's a little bit more wonky than we want it to be. But my guest today is Phyllis Amon, who is a speech and language pathologist. I had to suck. Maybe I need the speech pathology. <laughs> I, but I a speech. That, Nancy. <laughs> please, right? You know, is a speech and language pathologist who has worked in over 40 skilled nursing and short term rehabilitation facilities. She is a staunch advocate of improving the quality of care in care facilities. And sometimes I put the care facilities in quotes. Her training and skills are very personal to the individual. And she also is an expert to the care facility experts. So the expert to the expert, which is really great to have here because they all need the support from somebody like Phyllis who understands the importance of speech and language and swallowing and everything between the chin and the chest. And even more. So thank you, Phyllis. I'm so glad that you're here with oh, us me today. Too. Can I use that between the chin and the chest? I think that's a great tip. Please do so. I was thinking like, what is it? How do you visualize it? Right. Well, it's kind of like, you know, well, maybe it's not even the chin. It really starts at the upper lip. Yeah, but I, like, that the, little... I like the um, I like the alliteration. I the, the, the chin and the chest, right? <laughs> so I'm just going to add something to something you said that really came to me recently in terms of the fact, because of my experience. So a few weeks ago, I was talking to somebody and she said, in actuality, if you've specialized in that area... You're a gerontological speech and language pathologist. I said, gee, that really makes a lot of sense. Say that three times fast. <laughs> I can't even get Mom, pathologist out. <laughs> I should be able to do that. <laughs> right? So let's dive into just really explaining a little bit about what it is that you do and why do we even need somebody like that? I mean, we're, we know how to talk. We know how to, sometimes we know how to talk. <laughs> We know how to talk, but we don't always know what to say. We don't. There's a better way of doing it. Correct. Thank you. Thank you. So, or it becomes a tongue twister. Our tongues get in the way. Right. Let's explain how a speech pathologist is important to a language pathologist to us. So I'm I'm going to uh, also delve into one of my specialties, which we connected through uh, because Mm -hmm. of your own mom's difficulties. 
medical challenges, I'll say. Right. And then I'll, I'll incorporate that into the conversation, if that's okay. Please. Okay, so my original specialty, or one of my specialties really, is working with people with COPD or any kind of respiratory condition or who are dependent on mechanical ventilation, in other words, on a respirator, or have a tracheostomy tube. And that's not always people who have respiratory conditions. It could be because of other neurologic impairments or even people who have strokes. But that was a specialty of mine for really many, many, many years. It's actually a passion of mine because either you're breathing and you're- Or you're not, right? (laughs) You're not. You know, and uh, so uh, a lot of, um, no, I shouldn't say a lot, but many skilled nursing facilities who want to work with people or care for people, uh, they have a designated, we call it unit, because it's kind of more like subacute, medically based. Uh-huh. And of, But of course, that's within the context of a nursing home. So of course, it's not only those people that you're working with, but other people at different stages, different levels, whether it's they've had a stroke or a neurologic impairment, or they have maybe cognitive impairments. So people who have dementia as they advance in years and as their memory declines, they have difficulty recalling words, communicating, and many have difficulty eating as well. So we call it dysphagia, which is difficulty swallowing, is also another area of my specialty. I was recently doing some research on this area and also found out that swallowing and and speech and language can also be impacted by Lyme disease, which I never thought about. And both of us are from, well, I was originally from the Connecticut area not too long ago. And that's where Lyme disease was first discovered up in Lyme, Connecticut. And so many friends and even family members have had this that it's not even diagnosed because it becomes hidden in the tissues quite frequently, yet the symptoms come out in different ways. I guess language is one of them where you're not able to get the words out sometimes because of neurological impact from that particular situation. And get the words out or remembering the words. And sometimes it can mimic a stroke. That's really frightening. And I, I think it can probably trigger strokes as well. I had a friend who was dealing with that and did have a stroke at a very young age. And they think it was triggered probably from severe hidden Lyme disease that she'd been battling for a long time. So let's dive into some of the interesting things that, that at least I think so, <laughs> and I'm sure you do too, <laughs> relates to this because as somebody gets older, whether they've got a cognitive impairment or not, you know, swallowing is a huge issue that the muscles start to, I don't know whether they start to tighten up or relax so that they can't get things down. And one of the things that we worried about with my mom, let's so my dad, but because uh, he didn't have these issues, but my mom was... The swallowing after knowing that she had uh, frontal temporal dementia and she remembered things, but I could see when I visited like swallowing pills and how long it took her to chew a little bit more. Of course, she was always careful about that anyway when we were kids because she was like, chew a hundred times and you'll, you won't have to worry about dieting. Well, like chewing a hundred times, like I'm, I'll forget my, I've got food in my mouth, I guess at that point. <laughs> but I'm just going to interject something. In reality, digestion begins in your mouth because the saliva breaks down the food and then that's easier for the stomach. We'll just say, 
or your system to absorb the nu- nutrients because it's already broken down in your mouth, right? So I think mom just thought if I if I kept chewing, I'd, I'd get tired and I wouldn't want to eat anymore. So there we're <laughs> dieting. Okay, well, but that, and that, we're going to get into that with COPD, but the reality is that you should chew your food, especially harder food. Yeah, that's items, what she was said, about 35 times. times what she said, like, okay, it's like, mom, right. like, I'm... And isn't that funny? Your your mother just intuitively knew, yeah. said that. You know, I fall asleep at the table before I got done with a meal if I were that. It, you know. <laughs> well, that's another dieting, uh, that's another dieting right? strategy, right? right? <laughs> but, um, but also the, the muscles in the throat can, I guess, not be strong enough to swallow or, you know, what happens there and, and what typically triggers it? Well, interesting question. And I have to say, in all honesty, I've noticed this in myself. Right. And um, it's funny about how you know things and you should do them, but you don't. Like TMI, right? <laughs> and I've done therapy with people around this. And every every once in a while, I say, you know, Phyllis, you should start doing swallowing exercises, but I haven't done it. What are swallowing exercises? Uh, there are some very simple exercises that you can do because it's muscles. Right. So if as you get older, as muscles in the rest of your body weaken, it's only muscles that are in charge of swallowing. Hmm. So those muscles weaken as well. So like a, a very simple exercise is to, let's say, lay flat in the bed and then raise your head and hold your chin to your chest and hold it for, you know, like a few seconds and do that five times. That helps strengthen the, the muscles in the throat. And another one, but this is not so easy to do is to swallow, but because the swallow isn't complete until uh, we'll say the, the larynx raises and then goes down. Right. If you swallow and kind of hold it up for a second before you finish the swallow, that strengthens the muscle. So after it's gone past your uvula, the little uvula thing? Right, uvula, right, the vela. The punching the- bag behind the back of your throat. So in other words, I'll just, sh- can I show you? Yeah, go right ahead. Okay, so I, I want to- we're going to describe it, and because uh, we're in a podcast, we're not doing a right, video. But I, I'll show you because we're seeing each other. So I'm going to swallow. So I'm going to swallow the normal way, and so you'll see my larynx raise and lower. And if you put your own hand on your throat, you'll feel it. You swallow, goes up and down. Oh yeah! Wow. So I I just did this and I put my hand on my throat. And as I did it, even if I'm as I'm talking, I feel the vibration on my larynx too, right? Right, that's the voice. But I, you know, I swallowed and it went, I, it literally, I felt like, you know, I was dealing with a, like a, a live video game. It wasn't even a live video game. It was like, you know, <laughs> a pinball machine, right? right. My, it went up and I could feel that, right. that so, loop go up so, and down. So if anybody listening, because I train on this in nursing homes, people feeding people, right? as I train them to watch the person's throat. This is why it's not only a dignity issue to be sitting at somebody eye level when you're feeding them or helping them with feeding or eating. It's not only a dignity issue, you shouldn't be standing above somebody, but it's also because you can't observe the larynx raising and lowering, or we call it laryngeal elevation, right? You can't observe it raising and lowering if you're standing above somebody. So you have to be at eye level so you can see it. So now the exercise is swallow, but don't complete the swallow. Hold that, hold it up for a moment 
and then let it release. It's not so easy to do. It takes practice, but that strengthens the muscles also. It's like weightlifting for your throat, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I saw my mom and you know, a number of times when she when I would be down visiting and watching her eat and she would she would make the the motions like she was trying to swallow, but I know that it wasn't going down past the back of her tongue. Right. So the mental I wouldn't say mental capacity, but probably the, the brain was just trying to force it down without actually getting it there. And I you know, I could see that difference. So it could have been a variety of things, right? Right. But getting back to your mom, because that's how we started this entire conversation. Actually, it was with my aunt who had severe COPD. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. My mistake. It was with your aunt. So I had mentioned to you that sometimes people with COPD they run out of air, they run out of energy as the the meal progresses, as they continue. And the reason is because when we all swallow, we're not breathing for an instant. So we hold our breath while we're swallowing. Well, we don't we don't consciously hold our breath, but that's the way the mechanism works, the physiology. Right. That's huh. and obviously the reason for that is because that's why they tell you don't talk with food in your mouth, right? You can't swallow. If you're talking while you're eating and you go to swallow, the food can go the wrong way into your lungs. And it happens to people all the time. It could even happen with our saliva. It's happened to me many times. Or you take too big of, like I've done this before, like you take too big of a bite of ice cream oh, and it's it, it clogs your right. larynx going down. And I think I can't get enough breath. I can't get the breath, like let it melt. <laughs> That's right. how much I like ice cream. So. You get that brain freeze kind of situation, right? Right, right. So COPD is actually a disease of exhalation. I'm just obviously very Interesting. So, I did not know that. Yeah, your body can't rid itself of the carbon dioxide. So normally we breathe in oxygen, which is made up of oxygen and carbon dioxide, and we breathe out the carbon dioxide. That's why it's so great to have plants around because they take in the carbon dioxide and they, they're giving out really oxygen, right? So if your body can't get rid of the carbon dioxide, and then you're swallowing and can't breathe for that instant, over time, the carbon dioxide is getting built up in your lungs. And then obviously, you're going to run out of air. And then therefore, you're not going to continue completing the meal because you don't have enough energy to do that or you start coughing. Yep. I've had a lot of professionals in many nursing homes. They refer somebody to a swap for a swallow evaluation uh -huh. and they'll say, well, they're coughing. They need a different consistency of food. That's not it's not necessarily the case. It's just that they have to modify how they're eating interesting so that they can continue having enough we call it activity tolerance or endurance to finish the meal so i'll give you one strategy okay so they have to eat slower but that's not such an easy thing to do because we all eat the way we normally eat it's mm -hmm. automatic like the way we breathe it's although breathing is different it's on a different level but we do it automatically the way we speak we've been doing it our entire lives or if you're from a large family like my husband was right. when i first met him he's like he like finished his food like in seconds he said well you know i have to eat it before everybody else gets to it before from other people many times so what happens is you have to slow down how you eat and that takes practice so one strategy to do that is to put your fork down after you put the food in the mouth and replace it on the plate and then don't pick it up again until after you've swallowed 
So that will kind of give your body time to recover. But because we do things automatically, you know, a lot of us, what do you do? You pick up the food, you put it in your mouth, you pick up the next one and like the fork is, is right, is hanging in shovel the it, air. Shovel it, shovel it. You're waiting to put the next fork full in, right? Well, and I think, and not to say American European style of using your utensils, but the American, you, you switch your fork and your knife. So you, you are forced to sometimes put your utensils down where the Europeans don't do that. Correct. And typically you'll see a European always have the utensils in their hands instead, which is just, you know, it's just a matter of style and how things work. Yeah, but also... What people do here is Mm -hmm. um, another, so this would be another strategy is to only, let's say you're eating a piece of meat is to only cut one bite at a time. Right. So then you you're forced to do that. But a lot of people don't do that. They cut several bites. And then so there in goes the automatic action, I'll say of picking up the food right after you put it in your mouth and holding it. And suppose it's not something that has to be cut. Well, I think Miss Manners would agree with you. You should do that anyway. (laughs) It's like another another tip that mom said, this is how you do is politely. It's like, yes, mom, I'll be a lady. (laughs) I agree. So, you know, when you and I spoke about this, people don't realize. So if somebody has COPD, and they're not finishing the meal, or they're eating very slowly, or they're getting very tired, And a person doesn't understand this, whether it's a family member or a friend or even a caregiver in a a facility, right? The person with COPD can't explain why they are running out of breath or why they don't want to eat anymore. People with COPD, there's also muscle wasting. They don't metabolize the food the same Mm -hmm. way. They tend to get very thin. And so people are just keep telling them to eat. And all they say is, I don't want any more. I'm not hungry. They're exhausted, right? tired. But if you understand the process, it becomes a different interaction. And that could avoid a lot of contentious conversations, arguments, because the person gets defensive, then they say, leave me alone. And I could only imagine, and I'm sure you experienced this. Absolutely. You know, and you don't think of you know, the normal, I say normal, uh, normal, healthy person, I put normal in quotes. <laughs> Not everybody's normal. but <laughs> I would venture but, to say some people would say that about me, but that's a separate. Right. <laughs> I think you're pretty normal. But anyway, it creative is different than being like not normal. Right. But, but it's but we don't think about becoming physically exhausted because of eating unless it's Thanksgiving. Right. But then that's a whole nother story. Right. right. <laughs> So then there's the other issues of beyond swallowing. I think of the language and speech pathology from a cognitive perspective and communication. So my mom had the, um, the inability at times to get the words out. You could, you could see her brain almost like the brain bubble, you know, having right. here's the word and she can't get it out and it would take her um, 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 she'd get it and slowly like she was trying to she would bob her head up and down like right. she was trying to get the words out and then it would come out it may not be the right word but correct i always knew what she was trying to say because of the i think it's the the daughter mother relationship and people who did work with her eventually you know learned her personality and style and were able to figure out what she was trying to communicate as opposed to saying what Audrey, what Audrey, what do, what do you want? What do you want? That, that just creates a greater level of anxiety. Correct. But people have to understand it and know the strategies. And that's why people need training. It would be to ask a very simple question, a yes, no question, or give a person two choices to say, are you trying to say this? Do you mean that? And make it very yes or no. It makes it 
less contentious, right? And helps the person as opposed to it becoming confrontational. And then the person mm. gets defensive and that creates obviously animosity. Well, and frustration for both sides, right? Right, absolutely. And so, you know, I tell people, if you ever think of, and I'll ask you, I'm sure this has happened to you. If it hasn't, good for you. <laughs> but but many times throughout my life, you say, oh, you know, I'm just thinking of that actor's name or the main name of that film or the name of that restaurant or, oh, I went, just went to say something and I forgot, right? It's on the tip of your tongue. How right. frustrating is that, right? So can you only imagine that being kind of like an all the time experience and how that uh, make a person feel? I would get angry and almost I would feel less of myself too, because if it's happening all the time and somebody who I, I may not know well, it's not a family member, is trying to put words in my mouth. Now I'm a pretty, you know, a type independent person. And that's the way I was raised. And I kind of, it kind of stuck. So <laughs> when you've got that style and personality to begin with, it's even more frustrating because somebody's trying to do something for you when you know you can do it yourself. Right. And therein lies some of the difficulty as people get older and need help, but they want to maintain, obviously, their autonomy, their independence. Right. And then here comes an adult child who thinks that they're going to parent this older person. And there's a far better way to have that interaction. I mean, to start with conversations that kind of where you you meet the person where they are and kind of say we're a team and we want the best for you. And are you having any difficulty or it seems like you're having any difficulty, but these conversations should happen over a period of time. But what happens is yep. people just respond in that moment and that's what creates this tension and this animosity and these arguments. And then as time goes on and the person needs more help, they become even more defensive. You know, you mentioned something, and I've said this before in the Facebook group, but with others, when the adult child starts to parent the parent, that's a personal pet peeve of mine. Me too. I'm just going to share with everybody because our parents are still our parents. We are not their parents. Correct. And there's there's a certain lack of respect, I think, and understanding that happens when we say that. We are now becoming the parents of our parents. I understand what society is doing in that conversation, but to to step into those shoes, it's my personal pet peeve. I said, don't do it. You know, your parents are still your parents no matter what. And honor it and love it and and respect that. And it'll, it'll it'll just be a little kinder and gentler on both of you, I think. I agree with you 500, 500%. And yeah. I even, excuse me, I'm sorry. I even say this about people who have dementia and are in a more advanced stages of cognitive decline. This is still an adult. This is still a person who's lived their lives and they deserve the respect and the dignity of that person, even though they're declining physically and mentally. But if people, I think people have to change their mindset around that. There's a tendency to infantilize that person, right? And I think yeah, it's hard. It's, 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 hard. Not a, it's not an easy journey. I'm not saying no, but uh, I agree with you 500% that this is not, you are not the parent and uh, it makes it difficult. You know, the, the person who is the parent is used to caring for you know, the adult child or, or right. you, right? Yeah. So now you're coming at them 
saying, well, I'm going to tell you what to do. And the parent says, don't tell me what to do. Thinking about the whole process, when you're trying to teach somebody who has some issues, some health issues, like what you're doing, especially if you're the adult child versus forcing the the specialist, because you're not there all the time with somebody. Correct. You're teaching a family member or another aide or somebody is there to support the older person or the infirm person how to continue on in their life as best as possible to say something like, hey, mom, you know, I learned a new trick. I want to show you and maybe you can do it with me kind of thing. Right. So it now becomes sort of a tag team effort. I right. mean, I would imagine that would help help. Correct. Yes, I, I would say that that's a great way. And I also say to say we're a team, you know, we're, and, we're yeah. and not only are we a team, we are on the same team. So the connection of doing it together makes a better bond and strength. Now, I want to take another step in a different direction because we're talking about what to do. But I'm going to, I hate the word assume. There's another pet peeve, right? You know, I was always told never assume. You know? no, we, we all know what assume <laughs> but, stands for, but that's okay. Yeah, that, well, you know, I'll, I'll show notes. <laughs> show notes exactly. However, I would imagine that there are good speech pathologists and and people like yourself, and there are those that are less so. So, I mean, what are the signs to watch out for when things aren't going well in that space for somebody that we love and help? Well, that's a, a tricky question. <laughs> you well, that's what we're doing here. Like, I don't want you to point fingers yeah, no, at individuals, uh, but you no, know. I'm going to give you an example from okay. a client of mine, a friend and a client who recently had an experience with his mother in a nursing home. Great. And um, she had come from the hospital and she was on one consistency in the hospital. And when she got to the nursing home for short-term rehab, she had had a couple of heart attacks. She was on a different one. So a, a consistency meaning a type of... A change in, in the how the food is prepared. So in the okay. hospital, she was on more of a puree or smooth kind of food. Blended, yeah. And then when she went to the nursing home, she was on more of a regular kind of consistency, like regular food, like we eat. And he asked me about it. So I said, well, has this speech pathologist been in to see her? And he said, oh, yes. Um, she came in once or twice and said she was fine. Well, did they come with their eating, right? But I went to visit her and I noticed she was coughing right away. Oh. So I told him to find out what the hospital sent, what what was in the discharge papers, what consistency. Sometimes there are mistakes, by the way, or they right. don't they don't put it in. But if this woman had several heart attacks, from my perspective, what the speech pathologist would do, I would call the hospital, find out what consistency is. And this was an older person who was very frail and find out what consistency she was on. And I would put the woman on some kind of dysphagia therapy program, even for a week or two, just to make sure she was swallowing safely and make sure she didn't need any modifications. So he lived in one state. She lived on the other side of the country. When he went to see her, he told me the first thing she he noticed was that his mother was coughing. And when he looked into it, apparently the hospital didn't send the correct consistency, which is not such an unusual thing. I mean, mm -hmm. it happens. It shouldn't mm -hmm. be, but it happens. And the next thing you know, his mother wound up with aspiration pneumonia and had to go back to the hospital. So and I told him, I think that was the fa failing of the speech pathologist. So that's just like 
One example, right. just one example, because I think the speech pathologist should have done a much more thorough investigation, being that this woman was frail, had several heart attacks, and regular food might not have been the re best thing for her. So a full evaluation of discharge information for one, understanding that all discharge information is not always correct and complete. It happens correct. when there's a backlog or uh, you know a lot of a lot of detail is going on in a hospital that may not necessarily pertain to your parent or a loved one. And this does happen. You know, a discharge nurse just doesn't have the time to put in the details, so they just let it go, which is a really sad thing. But staying on top of of asking questions, being there, taking notes, finding out what's going on and making sure not just how nutrition is taken care of when, when somebody leaves a hospital, but also the medical uh, pharmaceutical issues as well. Absolutely. Listen, I visited many people upon admission. Oh, that was the other thing. The speech pathologist didn't come right away. Speech pathologists should come within a day. Wow. Okay. Uh, so that's good to know. Speech pathologists, if you're getting out of the hospital, make sure that they do that. Speech, PTOT, it's important. Your physical and your the rest of your swallowing, your eating, your, your verbalization, your ability to communicate. If you can't communicate, you can't tell something, somebody that something's wrong. Well, you know, it's interesting because I've had many, many, many circumstances where I, I usually go see everybody who is admitted to a nursing home, whether it's a short-term rehabilitation or long-term. And I've had many, many, many situations where I'll come away where the person told me something and I'll call the dietitian and they'll say, oh, I spoke to them. They never said that. I said, well, that's because I'm asking different questions. Mm. So people have to be really aware of the fact that somebody who specializes, even if your loved one seemed to be okay, I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to someone say, you know, I really have been having a little difficulty for a while. I haven't really mentioned it to anybody, but now that you ask. Well, and you're the specialist, which makes you safe too. So two things that caught my attention in this conversation. One was aspiration, which caused aspiration pneumonia. I don't think a lot of people understand that you can actually get pneumonia or contract pneumonia because of how swallowing is, is not happening correctly. That's important. Correct. And two, beyond having the speech pathologist come within the first day, could I hire a separate speech pathologist and say, I want, I want Phyllis there Absolutely. within three hours after my mom arriving at the rehab facility. Absolutely. And I have to tell you something else. I've been on uh, several phone calls with people when they have what they call a care plan meeting. So I've worked with families and they'll tell me what the situation is with their loved one. And I say, okay, well, uh, let me be on the care plan meeting. And you can uh, be participate by phone. Not everybody can be in person. And by the time uh, the meeting is over, the information they had at the beginning and the information they have at the end is a little different because the questions I can ask, I know kind of how they present certain things or how they write certain things or how they say certain things. So I can see through that. I'm going to give you an example. A friend of my daughter's many years ago, her father 
was in a hospital, a well-known hospital in New York, very good reputation. And he had a trach because he had cancer unexpectedly. And he also had a feeding tube mm-hmm. because, from the radiation. And so they needed to transfer him to a short-term rehabilitation part of a nursing home to get additional therapy. So my daughter asked me to speak with her friend. So I did. And I you know, asked a lot of questions. And then she said to me, okay, she told me about a particular place that they had recommended from the hospital because it was five stars. Now, I don't recommend or not recommend any place. I just tell people or help guide them with a variety of questions and the information behind the questions. And I could also participate in that conversation Mm -hmm. if they'd like me to, right? Because you want to make sure you're getting the answers that you're supposed to get rather than the answers that they tell a lot of people, right? So um, he went to this one place because the place that the hospital recommended that was five stars. I said to my daughter's friend, um, remember I told you that I wouldn't tell you any place or a good place or not a good place or where to go and not to go? She said, yes. I said, well, don't go to that place because I know how that place got their stars and they can't really handle people with trachs. So there's a whole host of questions. So they went to a different place. Okay. So I followed up with her a couple of weeks later and asked her how things were going because her father at the time of discharge couldn't eat. Mm. So uh, she told me that in this particular nursing home, her father had just started to get some thickened liquids because if a person can't swallow, they usually start them on thick liquids. Uh, They've changed the name of them a little bit, but it's it's like thin liquids, nectar thick and honey thick. So uh, honey thick is now called moderately thick and nectar is mildly thick. But so they had just started him on the th- one of the thickest liquids. But her mother walked in one day and the man had a sandwich in front of him and he was just oh, no. about to take a bite. Exactly. Because he could have obviously choked on that. You know, there's we did two previous shows to this episode number 41 and 42 talking about elder law issues. And we brought in the subject of how hospitals recommend rehab or nursing care facilities. So I mean, we could go on to the on the show forever about this. But please understand that that a a hospital recommends a place based on availability, not necessarily always based on the quality of what is there. And quality will always improve if you are there physically 24-7 or somebody who's Correct. advocating for your loved one is there 24-7 and they know what to do and how to push the right buttons. And I would also say it's it's not only availability, but people have relationships most favorite nation type of relationships, right? right? And aren't always in your your loved one's best interest. That's just yeah. a reality of life. Just very simple. It's just like I could go to the post office and I have a relationship with one of the people at Absolutely. The, the postal workers and I could get, they'll give me tape for a box and somebody else, they'll say right. you have to buy the tape for the box. And it's just the reality of life and relationships, right? Anyway, nevertheless, what I told this gal was, listen, make sure they put this in the nurse's notes. Make sure there's a care plan about this. Make sure that it's written someplace so that if this ever happens again, you can track this. Make sure that somebody does looks into the kitchen process and what happened where the breakdown was. Now, most people wouldn't know to do so, that. So this is, this is a fascinating subject. I'm just absorbed in this whole aspect because so much of what goes on, we don't know about. And you mentioned notes. You know, notes Correct. are one thing, but 
the key here is just because you've got a note doesn't mean they're going to read the note and follow through. And that is really important, That's including true. the type of medication, the type of rehab that needs to be going on. If a service is provided and refused, you don't necessarily, somebody might be tired. So they're asleep. They come in. Well, you know, Nancy was asleep. So she refused the, the physical therapy right. or the speech therapy. She was asleep. Like, come and give me a break. Really? But things like that happened. So understanding that, and this comes into the financial side, understanding that your insurance will be billed for the service if in fact you refused it. It's still there. They walked in the room, they did it, and typically they'll still bill you for it. So just be aware of those, I call it the tricks and the traps of of the industry. And it's not that it's it's bad or good. And maybe I should, I'm being too nice because to me, I'm like, you know, WTF. (laughs) It's like, really? (laughs) However, it's just important for us to be forewarned on what's what's going on. So I'm going to sort of just jump a little forward because there's so much we could talk about for the, for, for hours on end. Cause I could talk about this for hours as you could tell. Right. right? Well, maybe we'll have to come back and do another show another time. But what are some of the better ways for us to even recognize if, you know, if there are five tips that you could give us, what are five tips to sort of recognize that there's an issue that's not being addressed beyond seeing that Mm -hmm. it, you know, we know that they're supposed to be on thick liquids and all of a sudden we walk and there's a sandwich there. I mean, are there, like you mentioned, coughing, are there some signs and symptoms that can trigger our understanding that, ha, maybe we need to get a speech pathologist in or any kind of therapist in. And then really, you can do this at home. You don't need to do it at a care facility. You just have to get your your primary care physician to say, I need the in-home nursing care organization who has the speech pathologist to visit for the next six weeks. Right. So I just want to interject on something you just said, because we talked about some of the pitfalls, let's say, in a skilled nursing facility, whether it's short-term or long-term care. Right. So the other day I was talking to a gentleman who owns a home care company, uh, quite a large home care company. Right. So he, I was telling him that I'd like to train the caregivers. And that's a whole separate conversation. Yeah. That's a business <laughs> different than nursing homes, I'm sorry to say. But anyway, nevertheless... So I was talking to him about swallowing and dementia and as, you know, strokes and neurologic impairment. And he said to me, well, if uh, we're very careful about that, well, they'd have to be careful. But he said, if the caregiver or even the family notices something, we call the doctor and the doctor recommends an occupational therapy evaluation. So I said to him, well, that's not really the scope of practice of an occupational therapist. That's right. So it's different. That the, the different scopes of practice. So an occupational therapist is really how the person gets the food from the plate to their mouth, right? But the speech pathologist is really about chewing and swallowing and consistencies. That changed over the years. Years ago, it was occupational therapist, but this has been changed for many, many, many years. Right. And dysphagia has become a specialty for speech and language pathologists. And I told him, many doctors, medical directors have referred to me for recommendations. And I even had at least one, but there there was at least more than one. But one in particular stands out in my mind. I was working as a speech and language pathologist in a skilled nursing facility that had a ventilator unit. And there was a woman there who had aspirated and I downgraded her consistency of her food. And um, the doctor came to me one day and said, you know, I th- she wants to eat chopped food. I had put her on smooth food and was, was increasing her gradually. Uh, I think she wants to eat chopped food. I think she could do it. 
I said to him, well, I think that this is within your scope of practice. I don't think she's ready being what I've seen. Uh, if you would like to upgrade the consistency of her food, by all means, you're the doctor, you can do that. Ask me if he ever did it. No, that would be very foolish. Because he referred to the specialist also in episode 41 and 42. We talked about the difference between the general practitioner doctor, which are the ones that are typically affiliated with these facilities. It's not a specialist unless there is a PT or an OT or, you know, all sorts of type of skilled experts in certain areas like speech and language pathology. And a generalist knows like the tip of the iceberg of what's happening. Right. You know that there is like something floating on the surface, but you don't understand the impact on the rest of the body. And that's a huge thing, like the swallowing becoming, I'm going to harp on this, becoming the aspiration pneumonia. A doctor right. may not realize that this can actually happen because somebody's had a piece of steak instead of the blended food. Right. I think I, I don't want to uh, take that away from doctors. I'm sure they know about aspiration. Pneumonia. Well, all right, but, so, right. But but the difference uh, between a specialist who knows that particular right. area of and expertise. The consistencies and to look at it and really analyze what the person is doing and how they're chewing and how they're swallowing and, and really observing the laryngeal elevation and all of this kind of thing. And they don't have the time for that typically because they're Correct. in there for a they short period not. of time. And that's why they're, that's why they're a specialist, right. right? So I would, I would suggest for even people who have a loved one at home, that they make sure that the person who is the running the home care agency or their contact at the home care under agency understands the different specialists in the event their loved one needs one. So we're going to, it's like five tips of what to watch out for. So um, how somebody is swallowing, if they're tired. I would say, well, first of all, if somebody is eating very slowly, mm -hmm. it might be an indication that they're having some difficulty swallowing. Okay. Um, if they're getting tired as the meal goes on, I would suggest that as well. If they are chewing things and then taking it out of their mouth and putting it on the plate, might be an indication. Yep. Obviously, if they're coughing, but, um, oh, and I'll tell you a, a little something after. If they're constantly clearing their throat after they eat. Got it. And an, another thing is if you talk, hear them talk after they eat and they have this like gurgly wet vocal quality. Huh. That means that something probably isn't uh, being swallowed completely. There's some residue in their throat. Interesting. So those... I'm going to tell you a, a little interesting story. Mm -hmm. Recently, I was visiting a friend and um, I noticed that he was clearing his throat a lot, right? <clears throat> he was doing this like all the time. Right. So I asked him about it and he told me that he was allergic to some food item. So I wasn't really quite sure about that. I, I was there for a period of like two and a half days. So the next morning we went out to breakfast and he was still doing it. I said, well, but you didn't have that food item yet, did you? He said, no. I said, then why are you still clearing your throat like that? And this person speaks a lot and sings. I said, you know, you could be damaging your vocal cords. Well, halfway through the breakfast, I kept talking about it because I am a little persistent in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> That's why you're the expert. And he finally agreed to make an appointment with his GP, which he needed to do first because I was suggesting he have a swallow evaluation mm -hmm. or go to an ear, nose and throat specialist to make sure there wasn't anything there. I said, I'm not saying there is something there, but you're clearing your throat all the time. You could be really irritating your vocal cords, developing something. You certainly want to catch it in advance. Well, this took months. I don't think he was really 100% convinced, right. but he finally got an appointment with his GP 
But when he told the GP, the GP said, oh, you should have a swallow evaluation. So I must have known something. And sure enough, it took a while, but he finally told me they did find something. Having nothing to do with uh, something happening at the laryngeal level, so he said, it was something much further down that was causing all this mucus, but ah. they found something. So wow. this was just because I was listening to him doing <clears throat> all the time. And he said, oh, well, you know, I went for some testing. I'm allergic to X, Y, Z. I said, no, I don't think so. I mean, fascinating. I think that's it's kind of interesting. It's keeping our eyes and ears open for the little Correct. things that we may not intentionally overlook, but they become the norm because we're there and we're hearing it all the time. And just to take a step back, clear your head, look at things with a little different lens. And especially if you're visiting a parent or you're with a spouse and you start thinking, well, you know, they've been in the hospital or they come home or you notice something's a little off, question it and start start making some notes, not like, you know, obsessive, but just especially if it's a right. spouse because they may think like you're spying on them or something. But, right. <laughs> but just shows care, compassion, concern for somebody that you love. And you may actually end up resolving an issue that could become a greater impact on someone's life. Co correct. So thank you, Phyllis. This is fabulous. I mean, I love the stories. It's good information. We've covered a lot. And I will put in the show notes for everybody how to reach Phyllis and her information. And maybe we come up with a list, like a, a short list of the top five or 10 things to look out for. Right. There are questions that I would suggest that people ask, especially if they have COPD, it is going to progress. Hopefully they won't wind up with a trach or a ventilator. But if somebody does have one, there are certain questions they should ask. Because I just want to say that there are many uh, skilled nursing facilities who accept people, let's say with trachs, and they're really not experienced. And I, I obviously won't go into the stories that I've seen. I've seen, I've seen those stories where they become infected and there are major, major issues that happen. I'd be happy so. to offer people a list of questions that they could ask if they have. That would be great. Yeah. That would be great. You know, also understand just before we go that if you do have somebody on a ventilator and is walking around this, I'm just sharing this story because it happened with my aunt and she had severe COPD, which ultimately was the the, the cause of her, her passing. But she walked around the house with one of those cords that was attached to the main unit. Right. And she fell and broke, broke her wrist once and then, you know, broke her ankle another time and those cords can become very dangerous so right. there are ways and devices and tools that you can use so that they're not cords running around the house not just for them but for you too or right. a dog or anybody else could even be a young child that is visiting and gets caught up in those things and they can become extremely hazardous in the home but you know home is where we want to be ultimately absolutely it's, home is our i have a pillow on my bed that said home is my happy place yeah so. i like that <laughs> well hopefully it's people's happy place not for everybody but let's say hopefully we want to make it their happy place right yeah the hospital is not my happy right, place, place and, nor is well, rehab my for, happy place sure. or anything else. right that's for sure wherever you call home i hope it's a happy place for you thank you phyllis oh. this has been great it's been a delight thanks Nancy. this is just terrific i enjoyed every second of it take care bye-bye this show is sponsored by Caremanity, the publishers of How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, a step-by-step -step guide before, during, and after. For your own personalized free file of life, go to www.howtosurvive911.com. 
All trademarks, brands, and comments are not intended to be substitutes for medical, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a medical, legal, or financial professional for issues relevant to your own personal situation. This show is produced by Caremanity LLC. All rights reserved. Caremanity LLC. 